Welcome to Dragon's Rest, a podcast about the fantasy tavern where all great adventures get their start. It's here you'll meet a wannabe hero, a misanthropic bartender, a washed-up mage, a dim-witted bard, and a braggadocious dwarf. Created by Darcy Thompson and starring a cast of talented storytellers, each week promises a fresh keg of laughter and misadventure. So come on down to Dragon's Rest. Visit dragonsrestshow.com for more. Guys, we're back again. It's Chase and Josh of Factor Fantasy here. We are going to be tackling Season 3 of The Mandalorian, Episode 3 today. Last week, Chase guided us through Episode 2. Got to see some really cool shit, that big mythosaur possibility, that little dangle in the carrot for us, Easter egg. Looking forward to seeing how that comes up in the future of this show. And today, we're going to do a little bit of a... You know, so we're going to follow a couple different characters. It's a little interesting. This episode is a little bit different than the, the past two. So I'm going to be the one guiding us through this one. I'm going to be taking that ship through episode three. Uh, before we go ahead and get started, I'll turn the floor to Chase to say a few words, and then we'll dive in. Yeah, man, let's get it. Interesting is the only word I can think of for this episode, but we'll talk about that towards the end, man. I'll let Jay Nelly take it away. All right, man. Hey, glasses in the air. Cheers, brother. Let's get this thing rolling. Cheers, brother. Cheers. Let's get it going. All right. To start this episode, the episode opens where they left off where Bo-Katan and Mando are out of the waters. And he finally comes to. And Mando says, I am redeemed. And Bo-Katan says that she witnessed it and that he is a Mandalorian again. And Bo-Katan wants to get out of there. So before they do, though, Mando takes a file and fills it up with the living waters as proof that he really was there. Bokanet asks Mando if he saw anything under the water, and he just tells her that the chasm was deeper than expected, and she thinks the bombings triggered seismic activity. See, this is important for what we talked about last week when we discussed the, the mythosaur, that creature under the waters, the seismic activity could have shifted some stuff and anything that was underground maybe could have been broken and things could have came through to the surface who knows you know so I think this is important to really touch on there and she asks him Bokanan asks Mando if he saw anything alive and he responds like what and she just says nothing and then I, I'm curious that to this point and maybe there's something I'll ask later in this episode but like why didn't she just tell him about the mythosaur you know I don't, I don't get it we didn't want to bring it up I don't know but uh, in any event they're flying back to Kalevala to get Mando's ship and they're attacked mid-flight by TIE interceptors and so she tells Din Djarin that she needs him back to the TIE she needs him to back the TIE fighters off so he takes control of the, the blasters on her ship and starts shooting back at them and as they approach Kalevala at breakneck speed Mano jumps out of the ship to get to his own starfighter, and I thought it was pretty cool to see. It was like a nice little action in there. But uh, he ends up rejoining the fray after he gets to his ship, and he gives assistance to Bo-Katan. He takes out one of the TIE fighters and tells her that he's heading to her, and he takes out another one that was given chase to her behind, and there's only two more to go. 
So Mando finally takes out the last two, and there was really no damage to either ships. Like Mando's was mint condition. Bo-Katan said just some damage to the shields, nothing serious. But at this point, Mando catches something on his scope, and some explosive destroyer ships come and blow the fuck up out of the castle where Bo-Katan is like staying. I don't know if that's where it's her home or not, but you know these these destroyer ships just blew the shit up out of this castle. And now she's in a rage and goes on the attack of these new ships. So she's able to blow one up. But at this point, Mando from his own ship sees on his radar stuff's going haywire. And there's a bunch of enemy ships approaching and Bo-Katan is headed directly at them. So Din Djarin tells her to get out of there because there's too many of them. And he ends up sending her coordinates that are secret. And they end up hitting hyperspeed and they bounce the fuck out of that planet. And this is where we talk about it. It's a little interesting because... That's where the, all of a sudden it goes from that, and the scene cuts to the planet Coruscant. And if you guys remember from season one, there was a doctor who was in, like into genetic engineering and trying to mess around with DNA. And like we had mentioned previously, it almost looked like uh, they were trying to create something that was similar to what we saw in the sequel trilogy of Snoke, Emperor Snoke, and uh, you know who knows if that exactly what it was. But anyways, we've pretty much almost forgotten about this guy, this doctor here, and he's given some sort of seminar. It's like a summit, and he's speaking about his research and how he was forced to work for the Empire. He speaks about out about his mother and how he could have saved her with organ cloning, and he was talking about cloning and how it duplicates an individual from a single genetic strand. And his research was really to combine multiple strands to create replicas that incorporated the best genetic attributes of both donors. So just really cool stuff, and you know, kind of almost making a you know, Captain America like a super soldier, you know, just genetically modifying everything to the very best attributes, and so whatever is created is is top tier, right? So then, you know, it, after that summit, everyone's coming up to him, telling him he's gave a great speech and stuff like that, but. You know, we see the the screen pan, and we see the city of Coruscant. It's super modern. It almost reminded me a little bit of New York City, like the hustle and bustle of the city life. Uh, at, the, at this point, Doctor Pershing—that's his name. Doctor Pershing—he goes back to like this amnesty housing because he's in this, he's in what's called this amnesty program, which it takes people who worked for the Empire before and, and tries to reintegrate them into society, but give them the opportunity to change their ways and, and show that they're working. For the good of the future in the new republic so dr pershing meets a few officers in the program and dr pershing his like no name or code is amnesty scientist l52 and he met, he meets amnesty officer m34 there's also g27 m40 and the important one here g68 and if you remember G68, she was one of Moff Gideon's communications officers that we saw in Season 2 of The Mandalorian. So Dr. Pershing kind of outs her about her being on Moff Gideon's ship. Because, you know, he's actually, it really, to me, seems like he's trying to get it together. And he really doesn't have any love for the Empire. And he's trying to move past it. But he seems a little wary about her and basically blows up her spot. And is like, yeah, that girl is on Moff Gideon's ship. But uh, she does seem a little bit shady. Uh, they all, but they seem to end up having a good level of conversation. They're bonding over these drinks, and at this point, the they talk about stuff that they miss from days past. And Doctor Pershing mentions some yellow-colored biscuits. Uh, that was like a meal ration. It's a meal replacement ration, and how he kind of liked those. 
So the scene moves to Dr. Pershing getting back to his room at the Amnesty Housing, and the doorbell rings randomly. So he opens the door, but no one's there. There, but at the bottom, at the ground, there was a box left, and it's full of those yellow travel biscuits that they were just talking about. So then the scene moves to the next day, and Dr. Pershing, it's almost as if he's working a regular desk job at a cubicle. And it's really strange for his experience and someone in his old position to just almost be doing shift work. And even one of the coworkers commented on that. The coworkers like, you know, this is this is interesting. And he's in Dr. Pershing says, I just want to help the New Republic, you know, whatever, whatever they need me to do. So after work, he's walking around Coruscant with G68, who is showing him around the city as she promised. And she asks him why he doesn't continue his research here. He tells her that he didn't think that the New Republic would be on board because the ethics of cloning are complicated. She tells him sometimes he has to trust his gut because following orders blindly is kind of what put them in the bad spot with the Empire in the first place. But you can tell he's super cautious. And she seems like she's trying to push and goad him to move past these boundaries it seems like he's trying to set. He ends up having... And then the scene moves, and he ends up having this therapy session. I would call it a therapy session with this droid. And the droid just asking these basic questions. Do you feel any anger or resentment towards the New Republic? Just kind of those sort of deals to get a gauge of, of these people in the uh, program to reintegrate into society. So uh, he ends up asking the droid if his research would be allowed. And the droid says no, that cloning and genetic engineering is strictly prohibited. So then he goes back and meets with G68 and tells her that he's thinking about continuing his research even though it's not allowed. So she asks him what he needs and he tells her he needs some supplies and a mobile lab station, stuff like that. And she agrees to help him, but that it would require doing things outside their designated perimeter, which he immediately changes his mind because if he's caught, he'll get sent back to the reintegration center and basically start this whole thing all over again after he's just come as far as he has. But she ends up smooth-talking him by complimenting his research and pandering to how important it can be and how it will help the New Republic. And he still thinks it's too dangerous, but she tells him to sleep on it. So then we cut to the next morning, and Pershing's back at the old cubicle. Uh, he wants to reprogram the Imperial Tech so that way it can be useful, but the orders from the boss is, no, you're going to destroy it. That's just what it is. You, know, you can see that he is frustrated with the lack of being able to make his own decisions, and it's affecting him. So then he goes back to ther the droid therapy session and it's asking the same mundane questions and he's giving the same basic answers uh, until it asks if he's feeling any anger or resentment towards the New Republic again. And he pauses and asks if helping the New Republic supersedes everything else and the droid says it does. And you can tell he's kind of fed up. So he goes to G68's room and says, let's go get the mobile lab station. And she tells him, good, we're going to do it tomorrow night. So he ends up looking at himself in the mirror, and he looks like he's trying to convince himself that he's doing the right thing. So at this point, him and G68 embark on the mission to get the mobile lab station. They get on this tram-looking thing, and they leave their jurisdiction. They're headed to this disposal yards to get the mobile lab station from Imperial ships. And now he's really having second thoughts, because he didn't know where he's going to get these mobile lab stations for, but now they're going to be breaking into Imperial ships. It's going to look really bad, right? So... He asks her if she's done this before, and then we learn that she's the one who got him the yellow travel biscuits, and it seems to put him a little bit more at ease. And at this point, droids start asking for their tickets, and so G68 and Dr. Pershing start moving through the compartments to avoid them. And they end up getting to the end of the train, and G68 says they've got to jump, 
and they jump and get to what they're looking for, which are the disposal yards. They overlook the disposal yards, and the doc is kind of like in awe. He's looking at all this stuff like, wow, you know? Uh, but in any event, they break into the Imperial ship. She assures him that they're alone, since the ships are inoperable, so there's no need for anyone to guard them. They end up doing a formal introduction, because they never actually, they saw each other on Mokkadian's ship, but they do this formal introduction, but we learn, my takeaway from this is important, that we learn G68's real name is Elia Kane. So, Elia Kane, that's her name. They find the mobile lab station, he starts packing up the things he needs, and they go to leave. But, we're starting to hear stuff in the other areas of the ship. It's clear that they're not alone, so they start moving to find an escape. They're moving all the way through this, and they they get outside, and it almost looks like they're gonna be in the clear, then this helicopter-looking droid thing shines its spotlight down right on them, and uh, they are caught. But, while they're caught, he, he's got that box in their hand, he puts it down, puts his hands up, and you can see they're directing their words and actions towards the doctor alone. Uh, they, they catch and arrest him. And at this point, she takes the mobile lab station, picks up, and just walks outside the circle. She set him up. It was a setup. Uh, so, anyways, at this point, the scene, the scene shifts, and he wakes up in a room, and he's strapped down to the bed, almost like in a hospital. It's like a hospital bed type thing. And there's, he's attached to this machine, and he realizes it's a mind flayer machine, and he starts freaking out, like, hey, you're gonna you know, erase my mind, you're gonna erase my memories. And the guy there, the, the tech operator, tells him, no, this is much more low, it's a similar machine, but it's lower voltage, it's not gonna hurt you, we're just gonna, you know, kinda get you to a good spot, uh, you know, to overcome the indoctrination by the Empire, because it's, it's difficult, you know, not everyone is having a good you know, uh, time doing it, so. They assure him it's a similar device at lower voltages, and he, at this point, you can see, and it's almost sad, like, I, I felt for him as he's looking over at the window and sees uh, G68, or Elia Kane, there staring at him, and he's just asking her over and over again, you know, why did you set me up? Why did you set me up? Like, that's really sad. And, and it was, like, why I, it affected me, it just seemed as if Dr. Pershing was a little socially awkward, and she gained his trust and then broke it and use it to her advantage. So he doesn't seem like someone who trusts people very easily anyways, and now that he finally did, he got fucked over, so it's kind of sad. But in any event, the commissioner is praising G68 for doing the right thing, but I still don't trust her ass at all. And when he leaves, <laughs> the first thing she does, because she asks to stay, you know, because she's, oh, he's still a friend, and you think, you know, she's, she's definitely doing some shady shit, man. So as soon as the commissioner leaves, she cranks that machine to full power. Just cranks all the way up, and you see... The, the bolts that are entering the head, like the, the little electrical current turns to red, and, and you, know, you can see it's at, it's at max power, and it's gonna fuck Dr. Pershing's brain up. So, the scene at this point, again, randomly, big cut out of nowhere, jumps back to Mando and Bo-Katan. Uh, he brought her to the Mandalorian Covert, which is the same spot where that dinosaur turtle-looking thing attacked them in episode one of season three. They get to that cave entrance, and that's the, they, he tells her this is how they survived in exile. Uh, she's there as his guest, so she should be welcome, but he tells her everything is going to go a lot smoother if you keep your helmet on. She's like, oh, of course, whatever. So I thought that was funny. But any event, they land, and they're met by Paz Vizsla. Paz Vizsla tells them to come no further because they still believe Mando to be an apostate, and they don't know he's been redeemed by the living waters. They do tell Paz Vizsla that they have been to living waters and that he has proof, Pazbilla says, well, we're going to see. 
but he does allow them to enter the sanctuary, and at this point, Mando and Bo-Katan come before the armorer. The armorer asks if it's true, and he affirms that it is, and he shows her the file as proof. So Bo-Katan tells the armorer that she was a witness as well as the proof of that. Now, the armorer takes the file, pours it into the basin, and it glows fluorescent blue, and she says out loud to all Mandalorian present that Din Djarin speaks the truth and that they are indeed the living waters and that he is now redeemed. And keep in mind, that's why I talked about last week about the, the waters of... And they have some sort of property because how are you going to be able to tell the difference between the living waters and something else? And so when she poured it into that basin, she was able to see that it was for sure the living waters. So it begs the question, you know, what, what, what's in the living waters that makes them that way? So uh, just some stuff to, to chew on for a little bit. And then at this point, the armor continues on and tells Bo-Katan that by Creed, she is also redeemed since she went into the living waters to pull Mando out. Bo-Katan tells the armorer that she does not walk the way, but the armorer asks if she bathed in the waters, which Bo-Katan replied that she did. So the, at that point, the armorer asks her, well, have you removed your helmet since bathing in the waters? And Bo-Katan tells the armorer that she has not. So the armorer invites her to join their covert and live as Bo-Katan's ancestors once did, that she may leave anytime she wishes, and until then, she is one of them. And at this point, all of the Mandalorians give Bo-Katan and Din Djarin a warm welcome back. And as they're being greeted, Bo-Katan sees the emblem of the Mythosaur hanging on the wall, almost like a reminder of what she saw in those living waters. And that's how the episode ends, as the pan out of the, the emblem of the Mythosaur on the wall. So that is the episode in its entirety. Chase, well, go ahead and give me some of your thoughts, uh, some things you liked, some things you didn't like. Give me your takeaways on the episode as a whole. Yeah, man. I mean, I thought it started off really good. Like, it, um, you know, started off in, you know, right where we left off, you know, and you're kind (laughs) of, we weren't with them very long. Uh, But yeah, I mean, you're finding out a little bit more about the waters there. But one thing I was really thrown off is like the, it, the scenes with the doctor that like fucking came out of nowhere like I mean here's the thing I really like the characters there and I thought I thought it was great character development and the actors were were great where you kind of saw like you know he definitely has some social anxiety and that sort of thing but like I felt like the theme of this episode entirely changed out of nowhere like there was one point I checked to make sure if I ha- still had on Mandalorian or if my smart TV just randomly switched over to, like, Andor or some shit or whatever's going on. Like, am I still on, like, the right episode? So it just kind of threw me off, but it makes me also kind of wonder, like, are they trying to bring in, like, the clone factor? Like, I know in Star Wars Clone Wars, you had, like, a bunch of stuff like that in episode two, so... I don't really know. I, I It's hard for me to pinpoint, like, what their trajectory is here, bringing everything in. Um, I will say it was a... I mean, it was an interesting episode. I felt like it had a lot more of a darker feel than the other ones. Like, it kind of gave me, like, a Westworld vibe in a way of, like, him meeting with the robots and them, like, 
you know, he had that counseling session and then he became friends with her, but she betrayed him. Uh, and then it just jumps back to where we were. We're like with the creeds. I'm like, what the fuck, dude? Like, if you're going to change the pace, like change the pace to that setting for the rest of the episode or something like I feel like we kept jumping back and forth and they couldn't decide what the episode wanted to really focus on. It was a very interesting one for me. I'm not saying it was boring, really. Um, it was just it, it really threw me off uh, as far as like the tone of the entire episode. What did you think, man? So one thing I enjoy, and this is going to draw a comparison to another piece of work that we've covered, but Game of Thrones was really good at transitioning uh, character perspectives almost kind of flawlessly in a way where I say the last thing that you'll that you'll hear some character say before it shifts to a new one it almost aligns with what we're about to see with the new character like you know for example yeah. when we're talking about uh, like the the red woman or something you know that will shift from Stannis and, and Melisandre and you know it also would be like Tyrion's like like there and you know talking about like the religion as a whole so that was like, it's like you know so that you know what I mean like it shifts flawlessly so we're we're here with Dragonstone and Melisandre here but then you know <laughs> it, we, we there's a reason why the sh- the scene shifts into a different character's perspective and you know Tyrion's like talking about the the religion of you know the the red god and stuff and you know what he thinks about it so point being is that this the scene shifts and the character perspective shifts almost makes sense where in this episode here at the Mandalorian, <laughs> it really didn't. To your point, we're sitting here in this awesome high-speed chase of fighting these darn pilot things, and they're about to get swarmed by a shit ton of these ships, and they take off. And when they take off from these secret coordinates, they out of nowhere, we're just on Coruscant with the Doctor. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like where, I, how the hell did we get here? Like, you know what I mean? So it was just really interesting that that... There was no dive into that, and this is it just dove into these characters that I don't want to say were meaningless, but that are not main characters to this point in the series at all. Like, like this girl was a communications <laughs> officer on the ship. I think we saw her for 18 seconds in season two. You know what I mean? And then we have yeah. the doctor. The doctor, yeah, I could see how he could be a level of importance. I. Uh, because he's the one that is the, the brains behind the genetic engineering, sure. But I feel that like we've got to talk. That maybe before the scene shifts, someone talks about genetic engineering, and all of a sudden we get the scene cut over <laughs> to the doctor. Not just hey, we escaped all these ships trying to destroy us. Boom! Here's the doctor. <laughs> like you know what I mean? I was like what, dude? The fuck, dude. It was so weird, man. So yeah, and then and then just like you said, at, towards the end where. You know, she's playing his mind all the way turned up, and all of a sudden you're like wondering what's gonna happen with him. You don't even find out because then boom, it cuts back to Mandalorian, and then they're at they're at the fucking planet that they have the secret hideout on. And I'm sitting here like, where are these transitions, man? We gotta do some better transitions than that. My goodness, that was super choppy. But like you said, the episode as a whole was fine. It just those things were interesting. The tonality of it. I really do like the comparison you made to Westworld. I think that is a really good comparison where they are meeting with these uh, these droids, these artificial beings, and they're trying to reintegrate them into society. I, I think that is kind of cool how you mentioned it. And, you know, it, I will say that 
there's a something to be said for the full circle of of G sixty eight and Doctor Pershing being on the same ship as Moff Gideon to where they are now. And keep in mind, we still don't really know what's happened to Moff Gideon at this point in this right. series. You know, he's been taken away after he was defeated on his own ship, and Luke came and fucked up all the the dark troopers with his lightsaber. It was fucking awesome. But, you know, he he's <laughs> since been taken captive. So we don't really know what's going on with Moff Gideon. I mean, I, I feel obviously things are shifting towards where he's definitely not done. You know, he's he's probably got some more tricks up his sleeve. They Even one, even one part of the episode, one of the guys said when they are all having the drink that they heard that he escaped. And then another guy's like, no, he ended up getting mind flayed. And so there's like conflicting reports about what's happened to Moff Gideon. And so this G68 character, who knows? Maybe she is being sent by Moff Gideon. Maybe she's doing work for Moff Gideon in the back that no one knows about. Obviously, there's something wrong with her because being an asshole and like getting this guy to trust her. And you know, <laughs> obviously, I just don't get in my mind. I'm trying to see the benefit. What does she get out of this? Because if you're erasing the doctor's mind, he's not going to be able to help you genetically engineer anything anymore. If he if you mess up with his mind and like he can't, I don't know how far it goes. Because but she cranked that thing. So if it's a full scramble and you're starting almost with amnesia from day one, he's going to forget all about the genetic engineering and stuff. And obviously we don't know that for a fact that's what's happening and that cranking it all the way up will erase that memory. But I'm just saying, like, let's think about it from that perspective. What does she gain from that? What does Moff Gideon gain from that? What does the Empire gain from the Doctor not being able to help them clone something that they were, remember back in season one, they had those tanks. Like I always keep mentioning that with the creatures that look like Snoke. So, you know, what is the end goal why would you do that? Why wouldn't you keep him safe? Like, let's say you are working from off Gideon. Why wouldn't you keep him safe and you know just maybe try to turn him and influence him against the New Republic? But no, it is almost as if maybe we're meant to be questioning whether she is really for the New Republic or not. You know, because maybe she wanted to keep anyone who would could be easily influenced by the Empire out. But then at that point, why the heck would you crank it all the way up and do some stuff that the New Republic wouldn't do? So it's pretty clear that she still has is working for the Empire, but I just don't know what the Empire gets out of messing with the, the head of the Doctor. Unless that what they're trying to do is turn the Doctor further and further against the New Republic because they tortured him. And, you know, because technically the Doctor doesn't know that she's the one that cranked it all the way up. In his mind, the New Republic promised that it was the low voltage, and maybe, you know, they're turning him against the New Republic because, you know, they're, they're breaking their words. They're hurting him when they said they wouldn't, even though it was her, but he doesn't know it was her because he, he can't see what she's doing underneath the, the desk there. So that's the only thing I could really think of uh, when it comes to this part, is I just didn't see how it would benefit the Empire to hurt the doctor or put him through that kind of torture unless their end goal is to keep pushing the doctor away from wanting to help the new republic because the new republic is lying to him saying that no we're helping you we're gonna get you here but it's actually hurting him with the with the mind playing thing and it's actually her but he doesn't know it's her he thinks it's a new republic so that's the really only thing is if he the the only thing that would really make sense is if they're trying to push the doctor to the point where he wants nothing to do with the New Republic and wants to take them down in a way, and they're going to use him in that sort of capacity. I guess you just got to hope that the brain flaying, the mind flaying, doesn't mess up his genius, you know? So that that's you know one of the takeaways I have on that. That didn't make a whole lot of sense. Now we're getting to this point as well. We're talking about being back in the secret hideout with the Mandalorians. 
we're going to get to this point where is Bo-Katan going to try to return to the ways of the Children of the Watch? Or is she still going to do her stuff on the side? Because as of right now, she's redeemed. She doesn't seem super thrilled about it. But she also, we also get left with that image of her looking at the Mythosaur. So maybe she was going to stick around because the Children of the Watch are so... They're, they're so... Uh, in tune with the history and the creed of themselves. Maybe she wants to stick around to learn more since she saw that mythosaur in the Living Waters last episode. So I don't really know where that's going to play into. If she's going to get to the point where she wants to become one of the children watch or she... Because they said that she can leave whenever she wants. So I don't know. Do you think she's going to stick around there? I guess that's you know that, that could be a question that we, we dive into. If she sticks around for a little bit to try to get some history lessons. It's just... The, the episode itself was okay. There was just pieces of it that were like, what's going on? What are we like doing? And it was very choppy. And uh, I didn't love that, you know. But uh, overall, not bad. I don't know. Like, what are, what are your thoughts on some of what I just went over? No, I agree with you 100%. It, uh, like, the episode was well written. Like, it's not like I saw, like, a bunch of plot holes. It's just, I got to be honest, man, like, when it transitioned to the doctor, and we were, and this was a longer episode too. It's not like the past couple where you know you're looking at 30, 45 minutes. This is like a almost an hour episode. And like when it transitioned to the doctor, like how do you go from like flying out of a planet all of a sudden on this entirely like new area? The tones changed. It's a lot like slower, more darker. You're getting to know this person. I was like, what the fuck? Like, we just go from, like, seeing a fucking potentially a mythosaur, like, and fighting all these fucking cave trolls and bathing in the mystical waters to, like, everything super slow and AI and very, very, like, serious tone. Like, I'm like, what the fuck is going on, man? Like, I don't know why they chose to do it this way. My thought on this is I hope this has something to do with the Mandalorian somehow. Like, I hope we're not just writing our own series inside one. Like, there's got to be some way it ties in at some point to Moff Gideon and that sort of thing. But the only thing I can think of as far as her erasing his mind, like, maybe she's trying to use that to her advantage. Like, maybe he's going to be interrogated by some people so he won't remember anything, and then she'll come back to him and try to make him remember those memories so that she knows. Maybe it's something like that on the lines. But, dude, do you think, think he would ever trust her again after she set him up? Like, you got... That's the... Man, I, at that point, it's the doctor's fault. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, <laughs> shame on me, man. Like, you already screwed me over once. There's no way in hell I'm, I'm sitting in a room alone with you and doing anything you say. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah, I don't know. I will say this. I thought it was kind of um, cool. Like, they had, like, a Star Wars dating scene with, like, the light-up, like, uh, lollipops and stuff. I thought it was kind of a cool vibe. It kind of gave me the vibe at first of, like, a Star Wars, like, romantic comedy. I'm like, what the fuck are we doing here, man? <laughs> but, I mean, I don't know. I was down for it. I always want to keep an open mind, so... You know, I, like looking at the writing and the in like for in the mind of where it was trying to go, progression was good and it kept me like interested to know. But I was just so completely thrown out of the fucking element. It like really threw me for a loop, man. Like I was like very thrown off. So somebody's got to do better on these fucking transitions. 
Because that was just absolutely fucking obscene, is what I would say. Yeah. I, I do to think it was good, though. Sorry to interrupt you. Just to that point where you said that they've got to do better with these transitions, that you either have to make it make sense in terms of the last thing we saw correlates to what we're about to see, or you just go and start the new episode fresh from someone else's perspective. You can't yeah. you can't fucking do this thing where we're on a <laughs> we're on this mission of, of trying to escape this planet while these ships are blowing shit up at us and we're trying to escape there to all of a sudden boom like we're at Coruscant and it's like New York City and you're just and the <laughs> summit talking. It just made no sense. Now it made sense of all of a sudden, you know, Mando and Bo Katan flew into Coruscant and, and, and interrupted the summit or whatever, but, but no, it just like we got we were here with them and all of a sudden they were gone and then we were here with the the doctor and G sixty eight then they were gone we're back to the man. like like it was just so the transitions were awful in this episode specifically the transitions were awful like I, I gotta say man like I, I'm starting to understand because like you know you and I we wait. Like, because we want to have our actual real surprise reactions when we record the show. So we usually wait to watch the show until, you know, we actually do our show here on it. So we have true, actual reactions to what we just fucking saw. And now I'm starting to understand, like, kind of some people's feedback. Like, because, yeah, it started off, like, intense. And there weren't any major complaints. Yeah, some plot points there. And it was kind of a little too quick on the pacing. But... Now, I'm, I mean, I hope, I really hope this show starts to do something a little bit better this season with the way they give these portrayals and, and character perspectives and tell the story they're trying to tell. Because, man, like, I would have even been cool giving them the bit of the doubt. I would have been a little annoyed, but I would have been cool with them, like, ending the episode with, like, the Doctor. And it's like, okay, well, they're trying to introduce these characters in this building. I get that. But then you cut back to, like, where the fuck you just were. Like, what the fuck is wrong with you, man? Like, what the fuck? And then all of a sudden, I'm like, well, like, what? Like, I felt like I was in fucking hyperdrive. Like, you literally took me out of another fucking planet in two seconds. I just started getting reinvested in two new characters. I'm like, oh, okay. Like, I, I like the vibe we're kind of get here. This is interesting. Like, I'm kind of being drawn to these characters. And then I'm sucked out of that again and back where we were. I'm like, what the fuck, man? Like, sorry. That's just my thoughts. Like, dear Lord, man. Like, like. I've never had a TV show, a show where, like, the writing was actually really good. Like, the storyline was good. Like, that was really interesting. And I understand what you're trying to do. It's still related with Moff Gideon stuff. So, clearly, you're trying to go somewhere with this and tie it in. But, dude, like, damn. Like, why was this not pushed to the next episode? Like, if you're going to start it that way, like, why was this not pushed to the next one? Or make it this one. And then go into what happened the next episode. Like, that makes no fucking sense to me. Or sit there and do something right before transitions that makes sense. Like, oh, they go back to the lab thing and they see the, the reminds us of, uh, you know, when they're flying away and escaping, you know, put us yeah. on that other planet again. And, and all of a sudden we're reminded of the genetic stuff. And then the scene shifts. Like, do something like that. But, dude, you, you went to- <laughs> Like it was really crazy, man. Like it was nuts. I, I don't know, dude. It was, it was uh, definitely something where, like, like you said, I also 
uh, backed out of the episode to see if I was still on the same one or if I accidentally clicked next or something. I was like, <laughs> yeah. dude, wait, what? What just happened here? You know, so I thought that was kind of funny. But in any event, what are some of the debates that you have? I'll let you kick us off with your, your first debate here and uh, let's, let's get into that part. <laughs> My debate is almost fucking laughable because it's kind of like what we were talking about. My debate is more of like a broad question because I'm like, where does this go from here? Like, is this, <laughs> what is, okay, being on a serious note, like, what is, how do you think this doctor and this, these two characters correlate to what's going on with Bo-Katan, Din Djarin, and Grogu? Like, how do you think it's going to correlate? Do you think it's going to have anything to do with the clones that he was talking about? Do you think it's gonna? They're gonna bring Moff Gideon back at some point, and that's gonna tie in because she was working with him before. How do you think this is gonna correlate? And I hope, to dear Lord, they can transition it properly. So I think it's a little bit of both, to be honest with you. And what I mean by that is that I think they are gonna bring Moff Gideon back eventually at some point because the fact of the matter is. You know, we never consider anyone defeated till we see the body, right? And all we know is he got taken away, and it's it's already speculative about what's happened to him since. Uh, like we said, that one guy thought he escaped, the other guy thought he's been mind flayed, and you know, whatever. But what I would say is that I think to the other point, I think it's going to tie in with the genetics and the cloning. So there was a reason why those tanks were shown to us in season one, and there was a reason why that uh, Dr. Pershing had those recordings of stuff they were attempting and stuff they were trying. So, if I'm going to take a stab in the dark guess, I guess this would be my hypothesis, is that let's take it from where we're at here with this episode. I think that it's possible that G68 is trying to turn Dr. Pershing against the New Republic and understanding that they're not necessarily the good guys they claim to be, even though, you know, from what we understand, they, they kind of are, they seem like it, but she's doing the dirty stuff. She's tricked him, and she's the one that cranked that machine all the way up, and he might be thinking that it was the New Republic. And so, point being is that right now, you could see that like, I think of everyone in that amnesty program that used to be a part of the Empire to where they are now, I do believe he is one of the people who were genuinely. Uh, remorseful and and did not want to work for the Empire and realized the error of his actions. I think he's one of the ones that that program was really working for and that he was going to be an asset and helpful to the New Republic going forward. And she kind of came in and messed with that. You know, she kind of made him see different things differently, uh, how they're underutilizing him. And then he starts thinking, well, shoot, am I in, am I even doing anything of importance? And the times he asks to do stuff, he gets turned down on it. And so then he starts building this frustration. And so I think you know, if I'm guess, I'm, I'm gonna guess she's gonna turn him against the Republic, and you know whether that's gonna lead him into immediately going back to Moff Gideon specifically, or just continuing this genetic cloning stuff on the side until Moff Gideon comes back into play, and then it all correlates. That's kind of where I see this going. I see this going where she poisons his mind, you know, it, it, over and over again, to where he's against the New Republic. They are secretly doing things to bring his research to life, and they're going to be creating or attempting to create stuff that can overthrow 
the New Republic. And maybe that's a creature. Maybe that's a, a, a you know a, a band of army, an army of stuff. You know, that ends up being stormtroopers, dark troopers, whatever. You know, I'm not saying that it is, but simply saying that maybe that that's the the play is that they're with his you know mind and the access to the proper materials and the time that it's going to take he's going to develop something that can assist in overthrowing the new republic and that can kind of be what leads us into where the sequel trilogy kind of hits where you know the new order kind of comes into play maybe this is the beginning of the new order uh, because of what he's able to do with with his genetic cloning and you know then like i said i do think it's going to ultimately tie into where Moff Gideon is back in a position of power and he's leading some minions such as G68 and the Doctor and utilizing them all over again. But this time, you know, since it's in secret, it'll be a little bit more successful and all of a sudden they are going to come up with a way to, you know, put the pressure on the, the New Republic and potentially overthrow them, which could, put, which could maybe get us to the point of where the New Order starts to form and that maybe helps bridge the time gap that we're talking about. So that is where I see like the importance of the doctor and G68 and how it ties into the Mandalorian is because, you know, obviously they want that child the Moff Gideon did and spent the whole two seasons trying to fucking steal him, Right. So I don't think that's just going to be given up on out of nowhere. I think that's still going to be something that comes back into play. And in the meantime, you know, that's, that's what ties it all together. The, the genetic cloning on the side, Mando keeping Grogu safe, training him to be like his own, how what he's going to grow into. Then Moff Gideon coming back in and trying to utilize whatever they can out of the species for Grogu, trying to take him down. But in the meantime, of them being consistently thwarted by Mando and his friends, also creating shit on the side to take down the New Republic uh, on that end. So that's kind of where I see it all tying in. And maybe that is a little far-fetched. Maybe I am got my tinfoil hat on. But that's what kind of makes sense in my brain. I don't know how else you could really do it to where it does tie in uh, and make sense to be, make it a part of the Mandalorian show. So I don't know. Those are my thoughts. Uh, what are yours? Yeah, I think it must have something to do with maybe... I mean, this is just a thought. This is kind of you know out of the normal thinking process but maybe it has something to do with the clones that they were mentioning he worked with before because we saw the Bacta tanks back in season two when they went in there so maybe it has something to do maybe they've cloned uh, like Mandalore or something I don't know but I do think of course he knows something that's going to tie into Moff Gideon and he probably used something uh, that went you know that had some sort of conflict with the mandalore which is how i think they would tie it in let's hope so otherwise i hope they're not going to tell basically two series (laughs) in one show here but uh i think yeah i think you're right i think they are going to bring back moff gideon at some point now i mean if his brain is fried i don't know what good he does (laughs) but i mean hopefully not uh but we'll we'll see where it goes so i i agree with you i just like you know i don't really know how they can even almost tie it in from where dinjarin and bokatan are at this point because now they're kind of more involved in the creed but to take this back to where your question was 
do I think Bo-Katan gets involved kind of in that creed there. I think she and Din Djarin kind of help them out in a way for a period of time, but eventually are probably going to do their own thing because, as we know, Bo-Katan, she's very independent, I would say. I mean, she didn't even want Din Djarin's help at all when Grogu went back to ask her for help, and she only went because she felt like she should save him, and she did all that shit on her own. He was, like, having problems holding up the fucking saber, man. <laughs> so, I mean, uh, she's a badass on her own. But So, I think they're going to kind of do their own thing there for a while, but eventually it will probably tie in. I think it's just going to tie in in some weird way that we're not uh, expecting, I would say. But hopefully they can make this a little bit more cohesive as the episodes begin to draw together. So uh, what debates did you have today, brother? Yeah, I want to touch on something you said real quick first about the Bo-Katan thing and and maybe her being part of the the creed for a little bit. I I do think that... Look, I think Din Djarin is probably going to stay not not stay there in terms of like location wise, but he's going to continue on with the the faction, his his motto and his beliefs of the Children of the Watch. I think he's going to continue that. I do think Bo-Katan will stick around for a while because I do think she wants to. These they're they're very well. The Children of the Watch are very well versed in the history and the lore and have answers to stuff that Bo-Katan might have questions on now that she's visited like the planet. Mandalore and saw what she saw underneath the waters and in other parts of the the planet as well. So, I think that she's going to want to get answers and I think she's going to stick around to see what she can learn. But eventually, yeah, she I don't anticipate her not her like sticking around and, and having a change of heart and becoming one of the children of the watch. No, I, I don't see that. But I definitely think she sticks around for a while. And, and tries to learn what she can, but I think they're still gonna be doing like side missions. It's not that I don't think we're gonna sit here and and watch them just chill at that hideout forever. You know what I mean? I don't yeah. think they're gonna sit down at Powers, but you know they'll probably go out, do some missions, do some rescue here and there, and then you know go back and stuff. And she's gonna try to learn more and more, so that way you know she only almost becomes the supreme Mandalorian because you know, she's got she'll understand the ways of the old, and then she also has her own you know new age way of doing things too but now she's got the knowledge of the history and the past and maybe that'll kind of bring her in you know see so she's more open-minded than than Din Djarin is Din Djarin's like nah children of the watch this is the way this is the way this is the way so you know I, I think that uh it's a little bit it's like she is gonna end up being uh they, the Mandalorian that has a bit of it all a bit of the the new school yeah. mixed with the old school you know combining the best of both worlds so to speak so that's what I see on that end. In terms of my debate for the day, I guess my the thing I want to ask is, but it, it's going to pertain to this episode, but it's also going to pertain as a whole to the Mandalorian like uh, you know series to, like, all together. Is that where do you see? At what point do we get like like what do we think has happened to Moff Gideon? At what point do we see him again in a position of power? What do you think has happened? Has he escaped? Do you think he's still uh, captured for now? And they're gonna release like they're gonna go on a, a, a prison break thing and then get him out of there? Do you think he's already out and he's working and lurking in the shadows? 
Where, what do you think is happening with Moff Gideon right here as we speak about episode three of season three of The Mandalorian? And, and not only that, but where do you see him coming back into play for the future? This is just my perspective, but I think just a, a theory. I think that Moff Gideon, potentially based on how they were saying like his brain is fried and then that girl worked for him, uh, and then now we have the doctor that, you know, was doing work that was helping basically their side of things. I think what possibly could be going on is Moff Gideon was taken and they can't get information out of him. I don't know if, like, they fried his brain or he has information, he won't tell them anything. And now that girl that used to work for Moff Gideon was acting like she doesn't work for Moff Gideon anymore, betrayed the doctor that actually genuinely feels bad about what he was doing, and they need to get information out of the doctor to fulfill the rest of Moff Gideon's plan because he's not actually captured. He's just actually was is being held by his own people to help the overall plan. I think that could be something that's going on. That would make sense. But um, otherwise, then what's the fucking point of all this going on? Kind of, he's just sitting in a cell and they fried his brain and, and like she wants to build her own thing. So that's just my theory on it. I think she still is working for Moff Gideon and this doctor has information that they want to get out of him. But she fried his brain because she could be afraid that he tells someone and it's information that they only want to use to their advantage. What's your thoughts? I just don't agree with that because I don't think any of the other people are intelligent enough to use whatever information you think he might have. Yeah, but just because like, if someone explains physics to you, are you going to be able to utilize what they tell you? No, to me it's going to be like you're speaking a whole different language. I'm like, what? Quantum who? Like, you know what I mean? Like, I, just, <laughs> I don't think that it's going to be helpful for them to get any like, quote-unquote information out of them because what are they going to do with it? They need someone that can implement the, the, the knowledge or whatever the, the c- capacity of intelligence that he can put it out into the, you know, create whatever it needs to be. So what I really think, I think Moff Gideon escaped. I think Moff Gideon is out right now, and that was one of the things that was a possibility. The guy said he he escaped on the way to wherever. I think he escaped. I think he was either he did it himself or he had assistance and and springing him from his, his captors. And I think that he's laying low right now and doesn't want the world at large to know that he's free. And maybe they don't even know because maybe they were able to take out the people who were entrusted with bringing him in uh, to wherever the prison or holding cell or whatever they were going to do with him. Uh, I think maybe they they got him out, they took out everyone, so no one really knows that Moff Gideon's free right now. And I think he's just laying low, biding his time to make his reappearance uh, when the New Republic's at its weakest and least suspecting. That's what I think. And I think that G68 is working for him undercover right now. And, and I agree with you there that she's working for Moff Gideon but what I think makes more sense is I think that she is trying to trick the doctor into believing that the New Republic is actually bad and that they aren't the good guys that they claim to be. And she's doing all these things to show him, like, look what they did to you. Isn't this crazy? Like, I think that's, that's kind of going to be the whole spiel of it. 
And I think it was just more of a torture mechanism more than I think that his brain's going to be completely fried and he's going to forget who he is. I think it's probably going to be more like a torture thing. And, you know, at some point he's going to willingly want to do the work that he was doing before. Uh, And this time they get to a place where maybe he's finally successful and can get the, the, the genetic cloning down. And these things that we saw in the tanks in season one, are something that can be brought to life and you know maybe he's successful and brings out the new big bad and he's instrumental in doing that that's what that's kind of where i see it right now in terms of moff gideon of where i think he is today i think he's out and he escaped and he's laying low then in the future of where he comes back and makes an impact it's going to be when they've got some core people of of putting this whole thing together because that's the only thing that makes sense of why we're jumping from making sure that we're talking about this genetic modification and genetic engineering right after you know we're seeing Mando and and Bo-Katan doing some you know tricks in the air you know so, <laughs> so getting rid of getting away from these ships that are trying to blow them up that's my thought process that's what i think and he's going to make his reappearance at a time where the the new republic is is at its quote unquote weakest and still trying to uh, put, pull things together so that, that's what I think on that and I don't know do you have any thoughts on that yeah I mean I think that's a good uh, good theory a good thought on that I mean my only thing is I mean obviously I guess if they bring him back he's gonna really fuck shit up I mean I couldn't really see him ever turning the other cheek and becoming kind of like this good guy vigilante or anything to you or do you see him as purely like always going to kind of be that big bad if Moff Gideon ever comes back. For sure, yeah, he's definitely. If he, I mean, obviously, I'm assuming he's going to return. He's going to return in the same villain capacity for sure. Uh, it's just you know where is he now? What's the plan going forward? And I really do think that, um, it, 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 like I said, he's he's out and biding his time, and he's going to come back with fucking. Force, bro. Like, and I think that the doctor is a key factor in the deck. Is the doctor is gonna be able to, uh, you know, whatever was stalling him before, where he wasn't being successful with these experiences, something's gonna click and he's gonna figure it out. And all of a sudden, like, they're in a world of shit. And the Mandalorians got to do what they can to to fight off and to stop it. And like I said, I really do think this could be potentially what bridges the gap of you know where we are from the end of the New Republic to the beginning of the First Order. Where you know, obviously, Kylo Ren, uh, Emperor Snoke, and all that come into play. So, that that's those are my thoughts on that. But uh, did you have anything else that you have any other debates or anything else you wanted to tackle here before we close out? Uh, just before we close out, I want to get your thoughts on this. Do you think this was a good idea to have two different tones at the moment for what they're trying to build to, or do you think this whole season should have been more focused around? The Mandalorian, the Mandalore, and uh, Din Djarin trying to come back to the Creed. And then you had Bo-Katan kind of more focused on the Creeds versus now you have this whole other group here. Do you think they should have focused more on the Mandalore? Or do you think this was a good idea uh, given if this is the route they're trying to go and kind of bringing the idea of Moff Gideon back? I think it's a good idea. I let, uh, there's nothing wrong with changing 
perspectives and, and following new characters at different parts. I just didn't love how the transitions went specifically in this episode. It just didn't make sense. It just got thrown in our face out of the clear blue sky. Nothing was said, nothing was shown that would make sense for the scene to transition to what it did. And the same thing to transition back to what it did at the end of the episode. So uh, I do think it's a good idea. I think it's great to, that there's always something you got to keep in the back of your mind. You're not only just seeing what's going on from these characters' perspectives, you also have to keep in mind, shit, stuff's going on over there I can't forget about. And so it makes it interesting. It makes it like a, a, you know, a fun little puzzle to try to solve as you're you know, following different viewpoints and different characters. You know? Ideally, I don't think this is going to happen in uh, season three because obviously she's coming out with her own spinoff series. But ideally, we get like Ahsoka come back at some point and you know, yeah. maybe follow her for a couple you know, whatever, for some things. And you know, maybe Ahsoka's doing something on one end to fight the bad guys, and Mando's doing something on the other end, and they're shipping, like, switching back the scenes, and then it cuts to the bad guys, and, you know, stuff like that. So that, you know, those are things that, that I don't think the the idea is bad. I just think the execution in this specific episode was bad. <laughs> so that, that that's my thought. Right. Yeah, no, I agree with you 100%. I will say, too, I think that's what makes shows like, you know, like these universes, great. Like Star Wars, how you can bring in other different things and go to these other different planets and these other different areas and different characters, and it has different tones. Just like Game of Thrones, you know, Dragonstone is a lot different than King's Landing. Like you have two different vibes there. Essos is a lot different than Westeros. Like it, it's totally different. Same thing with even you know, if you look at uh, Hogwarts, you know, Azkaban prison is a lot different than the school. Like, I mean, it's just two different vibes, but that's what great makes fantasy shows great. But uh, to agree with you, I think, yeah, they just could have done it a lot more seamlessly is the word I would say. But yeah, man, I'll let you close us out for the day. Sounds like a plan, man. So if this is your first time listening to us, we really hope you enjoyed what you heard today and you want to stick around. If you have been with us since the very beginning, thank you for continuing to be the shields that guard the realms of fantasy. And we would really like it if you guys gave us a follow, a subscribe, a click, uh, anything on social media, some comments. We love the engagement. But you can find us on social media, on Instagram, at Official Ridiculous Patronus, on TikTok, at Ridiculous Patronus. We've got a backup Instagram, at Fact underscore or underscore fantasy. Backup TikTok, at Fact underscore or underscore fantasy. We also have a Facebook fan page, Chase and Josh Factor Fantasy. YouTube, we got uh, it's Ridiculous Patronus. we got some cool clips on there, some YouTube shorts. And we also have our own site, RidiculousPatronus.blogspot.com, that Chase keeps updated. So be sure to check all of those out and follow along. And in terms of the podcast itself, we are everywhere that you get your podcasts, meaning we are on Apple Podcasts, we're on Google Play, we're on Spotify, we're on iHeartRadio, we're on uh, Stitcher, we're on Acast, we're on Podbean, our host site, wherever you get your podcasts. Chase and Josh, Factor Fantasy are there, but we're out for the day, because this has been another ridiculous production. Chase and Josh, Factor Fantasy, signing Signing off. off. Dragon's Rest. 
a podcast about the fantasy tavern where all great adventures get their start. It's here you'll meet a wannabe hero, a misanthropic bartender, a washed-up mage, a dim-witted bard, and a braggadocious dwarf. Created by Darcy Thompson and starring a cast of talented storytellers, each week promises a fresh keg of laughter and misadventure. So come on down to Dragon's Rest. Visit dragonsrestshow.com for more.